0: Welcome back to Blazing Trails. I'm your host, Michael Revo from Salesforce Studios. I'm sure a lot of us are right now feeling the need to be entrepreneurial. That could be at work or finding a new job or even starting a new company. And today, we're going to hear from a fantastic entrepreneur. Iman Abu Zaid is the co-founder of Incredible Health which matches healthcare workers with healthcare employers, and she's the first woman of color to co-found a company to reach unicorn status. I sat down with her at the Fortune Most Powerful Women Summit to talk about what it takes to build a successful business.
1: All
0: right, Iman, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Okay, great. Well, I read the recent statistics that I think are still true, that only 2% of venture funding is going to female founders, 1% to female founders of color. So this is a huge breakthrough for you. But what do you see in terms of the environment and that changing or what's happening in that world right now?
1: You know, that based on the stats you just said, there's clearly some uh, some bias in the system and <laughs> yeah. it's pretty well-rooted and structural. Yeah. But honestly, you know, as as someone who's in it, right, and just frankly, just trying to make this vision and mission come true and you know with the goal of building this category defining market leading company in Mm -hmm. healthcare labor yeah you almost have to compartmentalize some of those things because it doesn't thinking about it as the ceo or entrepreneur is actually not that helpful and my say my counterparts (laughs) uh who don't have those you know demographic attributes are not thinking about that and so it's actually just really important to just be, to focus on the vision and mission, to be assertive and clear about what you're trying to achieve mm-hmm. uh, and just going for it, as mm-hmm. opposed to focusing on the bias in the system. Now, I think I play a role in in sort of breaking down that bias. Like I hope what I'm working on, what I'm achieving makes me a role model, hopefully inspires someone to just go for it yeah. uh, as well. And and certainly there's many, many of us are you know responsible for making sure that it gets better. Mm-hmm. Now the responsibility i take is make sure incredible health is successful and then also just hire a team that's diverse too because the future entrepreneurs and ceos are within my company already mm-hmm. right for the mm-hmm. future so
0: i mean so tell me about your sort of investor relationships and what you're looking for and and maybe you know this probably has changed over time in the beginning, when it's like, yeah, it sounds like a great idea, it's unproven, you haven't done this before, right? There's a certain that that meeting is different than the meeting now of, oh, we've got a lot of traction and things are moving. Uh, and all of a sudden, everybody's interested. So, yeah. what's that journey been like for you in terms of your partners?
1: Yep. So, I mean, the things that haven't changed as far as fundraising and selecting investors goes is having very clear criteria about who we want to work with. I. But like personally have a bias for the San Francisco Bay Area investors. <laughs> they tend to be very risk-taking. Yeah. I also have a preference for technology investors, marketplace investors. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those, when you look at our seed round and our series A, we worked with obvious James Joaquin at Obvious Ventures and Jeff Jordan and Andreessen Horowitz. Mm-hmm. Like they have that profile. I also have a strong bias for former operators. Mm-hmm. They're both former CEOs, multiple times, in fact, Yeah, which is extremely helpful in the boardroom and giving me advice, right? Um, now over time, like if you, if you just fast forward to our series B, which was this year, that's where we really started to sort of mix it up a bit. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we now have health systems that have invested directly. So Mm -hmm. Kaiser Permanente and Johns Hopkins are, are investors, uh, directly in incredible health as well as customers. Mm -hmm. And then have also added others like Andre Guadala of the Warriors or, um, Who I was
0: just with at Dreamforce. Oh, that's awesome. Right.
1: Um, and Charlie and Dixie D'Amelio of TikTok. (laughs) And you know, wait, so wait, wait, wait yeah. we
0: can't skip over that too quickly. So yeah. how did that, how did you meet them? What was that relationship
1: like? Oh, I met all, Andre Guadalla and the D'Amelio family through Andreessen Horowitz. I see. Uh, they uh-huh. have a pretty immense network. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Andre actually showed up at one of our board meetings in 2019. So I, I've actually known him for, for a few years now. Yeah. Uh, and he's getting increasingly more into, you know, investing, mm-hmm. right? So. Mm-hmm. And met him through Jeff Jordan and Reason Horwitz. Yeah.
0: I mean, I want to go back to what you were saying about working with operators and, yep. and people who have that experience. What's the sort of a two-sided question? One is the, you know, the obvious value in, you know, working with people who've been there and done that and can give you good advice. But then as you approach that and with the, you know, I imagine super high growth right now, how are you looking at? Efficiencies and how you can operate the business as you're on this sort of <laughs> rocket ship to be able to take their advice and then implement that in how you're operationalizing your company right now.
1: Yeah. I mean, look, my role changes like every three months because of the high growth rate. Yeah. Uh, and so early on, we've been working on this business for five years. The first couple of years is just like, do whatever you can to get to product market fit. Yeah. You know, and so in those cases, I'm much more of a product manager than anything else. Right. Now it's how do, how do we scale that? Mm-hmm. And that requires. Uh, first and foremost, I needed to assemble a very experienced senior leadership team that has seen there, been there, done that mm-hmm. when it comes to high growth, mm-hmm. um, and there are experts in their functions. I've also had to think a lot about how, what is Incredible Health's culture? How do we communicate? Um, how do we get stuff done? Mm-hmm. And so I've really. Sort of like codified what our values are and how we're going to operate as a business mm-hmm. and how we're going to make decisions.
0: When you're in the position as a as an entrepreneur and now hiring really experienced people, you've got this network that you're tapping into. Does it ever feel like imposter syndrome? We're like, you know, oh, how, yeah, yeah. I mean, how, so how do you how do you deal with that? How do you stay confident and and keep going?
1: Yeah, I mean, definitely. Like my my entire senior leadership team is older than me, <laughs> uh, <laughs> intentionally. Look, I think I've just gotten very used to ambiguity and uncertainty and i'm very comfortable with risk as well and so that's like i've really trained my brain (laughs) Mm -hmm. around those those like those topics where you know the importance is you know you just trust yourself that you're going to figure it out Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. and you focus all your mental energy not on what's going wrong but how i how am i going to get it right and so a lot of my mental energy is just focused on just finding that one seemingly impossible way to get to the solutions
0: and how do you think about prioritization like you talked about moving this shift from being a you know a product person thinking about okay how are we gonna make this product work to all of a sudden now having to scale a big business and the prioritization and decision making of you know what's most important what's not changes so how do, you, how do you approach that?
1: Yeah, interestingly, that hasn't changed over the years. Like, I believe, I'm a big believer in ruthless prioritization. Yeah. So at any given time, there's only one or two things that matter, and that if we get right, will get us to the next level. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's been the case in year one and year five. Yeah. Um, yep.
0: And so how do you define those one or two things?
1: Well, that's, yeah, that's where it gets uh, (laughs) tricky. Um, You define it in a a few ways. First and foremost, there's a mission and vision that we need to pursue, right? So that's like the North Star. Right. So not deviating from that is important. Uh, Then there's like all these inputs, you know, like there's quantitative data. You know, we operate a culture that's pretty data-driven. And then there's uh, the qualitative feedback that's coming in from the the users. And then there's like what the different teams are seeing. And like you really try to triangulate as much as you can to determine what the priorities are. Mm -hmm. Honestly, I think product managers are extremely well trained in this area mm-hmm. of ruthless prioritization <laughs> right right um, and uh, <laughs> it's just important that similar kind of thinking applies to the rest of the business too
0: yeah absolutely i mean when you think about the product development side I'm, you know for our kind of cio part of our audience out here how are you thinking about building a technology platform that's going to be flexible that's going to scale in terms of the product development I'm just curious what that looks like in your organization
1: yeah so first and foremost just make sure you have an amazing CTO (laughs) 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 who can think who can think about this it's all about the people yeah yeah. Yeah. Um, you know there's a couple of things that we did to ensure that the technology or product side is successful yeah first is just like constantly being in touch with users and that, mm-hmm. that feedback loop has been critical and we maintain it as we scale. Mm-hmm. Secondly, is like my CTO and co-founder, Ron Portlock, does have a bias for more experienced engineers. And honestly, that's paid off big time. Mm-hmm. And so our engineering team isn't giant, but it's very, very experienced. Mm-hmm. And so the productivity coming out of that team and the quality coming out of that team is quite, quite high. Mm-hmm. And then finally, just pairing that with a fantastic product leader as well to do things like ruthless prioritization mm-hmm. is, is, very, is very important, too. Mm-hmm. One other thing I wanted to mention is just like the the, the process in which R&D happens is critical too. Yeah. So we very early on adopted what we call our shaping process. Mm-hmm. And that's like, you know, how to spec something. Yeah. And it has different sections in it, including what's the appetite, how much time is the company willing to spend on this? So there's really clear guardrails up front about mm-hmm. how much time we're willing to spend on this specific problem mm-hmm. and what impact we're expecting. And that just ensures that we sort of don't overinvest in certain products and features too.
0: Right. I mean, yeah. deciding when not to do something is as important, if not more, than when to do something. Well, you mentioned listening to the customer and being a critical part. How are you getting that data and how do you review it? Or how are you staying in touch with what the customer need is?
1: Yeah. So we have probably three different teams that are in touch with customers very often our product team our customer success team which manages employer relationships as well as our talent advocate team that's interacting with the talent mm-hmm. so they're an important source all three are an important source there's also periodic, like consistent and periodic nps surveys that go out mm-hmm. to both to both sides of our platform yeah. so that's constant uh, information coming in and then finally, the you know the 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 users are using the platform, and they and what's what they're doing is getting tracked, and so mm-hmm. looking at that enormous amount of data and inter- interpreting it is very important. Too. Mm-hmm.
0: And so it sounds like the experience is is working really well for both sides right now. Are you seeing across in the industry? Are you seeing high utilization of the product for people? moving to new jobs. What's happening in the marketplace
1: right yeah, now? Yeah, in the marketplace, so an interview request, so that's a request from an employer applying to the talent, is sent, I think, every 20 seconds now. Wow. There's also 10,000 nurses are joining our platform every single week. One of the critical how many, things... How
0: many nurses are there, there in are the There are 4 States.
1: million in the U.S., wow. uh, so we have about 10% of them on, the, on our platform currently. One of the things that really differentiated us on the talent side is... Making sure that this is not a career marketplace or not just the place where you find a job, Mm -hmm. this incredible health is the place where you manage your career. Mm -hmm. So what I mean by that is we've added things like free continuing education for every single nurse in the country, free salary estimators. We have a community for nurses built into our apps. It's basically an entire ecosystem of free features and services mm-hmm. for nurses and eventually future healthcare workers that they need to manage their careers. Mm-hmm. And they in, essentially make sure that they're using Incredible Health even in between their job searches. Mm-hmm. Or maybe they're not even using us at all for the, for, for the job searches, but they're using us for these other products. Mm-hmm. And so that's been a really critical piece of our of our strategy and our approach and helps us to acquire and engage talent over the long term.
0: Did you see an inflection point? And when was that in the product development where all of a sudden you just sort of got the right fit and had this really high growth?
1: It wasn't, honestly, it wasn't just a a single point in time. It's like, we were constantly just fixing and improving different parts of the marketplace. And so, yeah, there's there's times when we ship features and it's a dramatic change, and there's sometimes we ship it and it's not enough of a change, (laughs) right? right? And so I can't really point to a single point in time, but what I can say is like, we intentionally restricted the marketplace to only the San Francisco Bay area for almost two years only California for two and a half years. Mm -hmm. And so it was pretty long into the life of our company before we started expanding to other states. Mm -hmm. We used the employers and nurses of California as early adopters, as having really tight feedback loops to improve our product and improve our operations until we saw strong growth metrics Mm -hmm. and strong retention metrics. And it was at that point that we felt comfortable to expand further. This is classic two-sided marketplace theory, right. but like you really want to restrict it as much as you can early on right. to figure out your product and your operations before you scale it.
0: Yeah. And and that lets you use your funds longer and be exactly. able to have more time to work it out. You know, and I'm curious, there's so much opportunity in the healthcare space generally to find these efficiencies, to improve outcomes where else are you seeing opportunity? I know you're single-minded, focused on your side of it, but I'm just curious with it still being such a huge part of our economy, etc. You know what you see there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for, for us specifically, you know, we're very focused on nurses and hospitals today, but have plans to expand to other roles uh, in healthcare beyond Mm -hmm. nurses, you know, there's doctors and physical therapists and pharmacists and so on Mm -hmm. who can benefit from a product like this. And then we also want to expand beyond hospitals. So not just acute care hospitals, but also surgical centers and urgent care and so on. Mm -hmm. So our goal is to take it all, right? All all healthcare labor, (laughs) but we just have to be very systematic with our growth. I think in general, in terms of other opportunities, I don't actually, I still don't think there's enough um, entrepreneurial activity or innovation happening in, uh, what I call the infrastructure of healthcare. Right. There's a lot of activity f- with patient facing products and services, mm-hmm. you know, in uh, mental health products, telehealth, you know, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, however, the enormous costs as well as inefficiencies in healthcare are happening basically in the back end. Right. Uh, we we happen to be tackling one of those areas, which is hiring. Right. But there's also the way they manage revenue, the way they manage their operations. Just there's many things in the healthcare industry that uh are are inefficient that are not, frankly, sexy, right? Yeah. <laughs> that need to get tackled.
0: Right. And are the barriers just too high to entry right now in terms of how the the way the healthcare systems are set up? Uh it does seem really daunting. I recently and everybody has yeah. a story like this, we had to take my daughter to the emergency room. It was a very small thing. You know, the doctors are (laughs) for 10 minutes and then you get this huge bill and you think to yourself, this is not sustainable. And we, you know, we all know about this, but then you think about, well, how could this be, solved, it's just so daunting.
1: Yeah, it's definitely not an easy industry to operate in. Yeah. What I've learned over the years and operating in healthcare is first and foremost, like whatever problem you're tackling and whatever product you come up with, you better have a really strong ROI. Mm-hmm. <laughs> an extremely strong business case for like how it impacts the bottom line. You know, in our case we're saving every each hospital we work with at least two million dollars per year. Right. You know, that's how we're getting in the door. Yeah. And how we're staying in the door. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that it's just really important to just have a really strong business case in healthcare mm-hmm. because that's the only that's the main thing that cuts through you know all of that noise and, and right. resistance to change, yeah.
0: And I guess we're, prior to this, in your you know in your management consulting career, I imagine it was similar being able to really define the business case and what you're working on, and being able to prove that out. I mean, what, what advice do you have for whether it's somebody who's starting a company or you're trying to sort of you know prove your case inside a company? How do you approach that?
1: If you've come up with a product that is at least 10 times better than what's already out there. Better can be defined as faster, cheaper, drives 10x more savings, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, you're usually at that point in a pretty good spot. Yeah. You know, like that is your unique insight as a founder and as a CEO and as, a, on, as an entrepreneur. Like, what have you come up with that's at least 10 times better than what's already out there? Right. And it can't be one or two times better. Right. <laughs> it really needs to be 10x like a game changer, right? Because yeah. uh, otherwise it's just so hard to break through. Right.
0: Right. And did you always know that you wanted to be an entrepreneur or did it happen more organically?
1: Yeah, I've been super interested in entrepreneurship for a very long time. Both my grandfathers were entrepreneurs. Yeah. And then during my time in business school at Wharton, in particular, got exp- even more exposed to entrepreneurship. And it's obviously in the San Francisco Bay Area, like that's <laughs> a huge ecosystem of entrepreneurs. Yeah. And I just think I have an opinion, I don't impose this on anyone, course, <laughs> that entrepreneurship is one the epitome of what you can do with your business career. It's like to, to be able to have an impact and to, and to transform an industry and a tiny team doing it, Mm -hmm. you know, initially Mm -hmm. is, is really, really motivating and really phenomenal. And you can have just such a massive impact.
0: So what advice would you give to people who want to go down that road?
1: There's, yeah, there's so, so many pieces of advice. For, for, first and foremost is just like recognize that it's like at least a 10 year commitment, especially if you're trying to do something category defining or market leading, or it's a very long commitment and, and everything takes longer than you expect. Mm-hmm. Um, second is the probably the unique insight comment I made earlier, come up with something that's at least, at least 10 times better than what's already out there. As far as just like rallying the resources to make your vision come true, mm-hmm. you know, we talked earlier about venture capital and external capital, like that may not be the solution for everyone. Mm-hmm. That is a very personal decision. Mm-hmm. If you're trying to build something absolutely massive, multi billion dollar outcomes, like by all means, go get the venture capital. But that may not be appropriate for every business. So so be extremely thoughtful about financing and how you're gonna get the resources for your business. Yeah. And then and then finally it's like you know your team, your team matters a lot. I mm-hmm. mean, the, your co-founder, as well as the first you know, 10, 20 people on the team, I mean, they set the trajectory for the entire company. Mm-hmm. So be extremely thoughtful about who you bring on.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that idea around venture capital, you know, so many people have this idea that, oh, if I go out and I raise this money, then it's, you know, celebration time. But really aligning the values again which is not not, celebration time it's
1: like it's where it all starts it's It's like like, oh gosh I got all these expectations right this is
0: (laughs) this is really where it hits the fan and I think aligning those values because the values in the venture capitalists often you know may not fully align with what you want to do or the expectations for that type of return and the way you're talking about it with a you know category defining and 10x you know I think if you're comfortable with that and understand that's that's the deal. If you Correct. go out and raise that money. But did you ever think about when you started, was the idea to raise money and do it this way? Or was it more, we're yeah. going to bootstrap this thing?
1: My co-founder and I were very ambitious yeah. and knew if we're, we're going to spend a decade plus yeah. of our lives on this thing, then we, we did want a big outcome. So yeah, yeah. The, the venture capital was on the cards pretty early for us. Yeah. Having said that, I think one thing I did learn is just the importance of, just getting to cash flow positive as quickly as you can, right? Because it just means you have uh, a lot more leverage in those discussions, <laughs> and uh, it's hard. It's hard to get the cash flow positive quickly, yeah. um, because there's you know. Venture cap backed companies usually have very high burn rates, Mm -hmm. but it is it is possible, and it all comes down to like how much you focus on your unit economics and how you structure your deals and 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 frankly, when you bring on resources into your company, it's a Mm -hmm. very nuanced thing. Mm -hmm. But there is a way to do it.
0: Mm -hmm. And did you find that you got advice from your early investors on how to do that, really at an operational level?
1: Uh, Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're pros, (laughs) right? (laughs) (laughs) And and gave me great advice on that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, it's super exciting to hear about this. Tell me about what's next. What's on this uh, on this trajectory? Where are you headed?
1: I mean, look, ultimately, we're. Be aiming to be market leaders in healthcare labor. Um, mm-hmm. the, over the next few years, we want to continue to automate and personalize more and more aspects of the hiring process. Yeah, And that's, you know, with the addition of machine learning and so on. Yeah, We're also planning to provide, continue adding more and more free services and tools for nurses and other healthcare workers to help them manage their career mm-hmm. um, beyond, you know, education, skill growth, educational scholarships, you know, so on, mm-hmm. in order to continue to support them and then want to expand to other segments mm-hmm. uh, with. In healthcare. So that's what we're up to.
0: Well, thank you so much for joining. I'm super interested to follow Incredible Health and see what you're doing and congratulations. And uh, thanks for being here today.
1: Thank you so much.
0: That was Iman Abu Zaid, co-founder of Incredible Health. Next week, we'll hear from a venture capitalist who shares her insights on building your career like a successful entrepreneur. Tune in to hear Beth Ferraria. She's a general partner at First Mark Capital. Like this episode? Be sure to subscribe to Blazing Trails wherever you get your podcasts or on our YouTube channel. Blazing Trails is a production of Salesforce Studios, produced by Rachel Levin, edited by Cynthia Chavez, with original music from Andrew Duncan. I'm Michael Revo. Thanks for being with us.